Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter number 1, please. You know, one of the things about being a pastor is the, uh, the difficulty in trying to help people that are going through difficulties, because you don't always have the answer. And uh, so many times you feel frustrated because you don't know what to say. I, I mean, you really don't. Uh, you can pray for them, you can cry with them, but you, you, you just don't know what to say. And sometimes, though, you, you learn to know what not to say. I was talking to someone the other day, and they were going through and have been going through trials now for some time, a lot of difficulties and frustration. And uh, this person said to me, and thank God I hadn't made this statement yet, but I might have if I hadn't got this warning. I pity the person that says to me again, well, it could be worse because I am going to unload on them. I know it could be worse, but that doesn't make what I'm going through any better. And, uh, boy, I thought, wow, that's a lot of wisdom in that statement. Well, you know, if we had time to talk about it, I think we could have an interesting discussion about some of the things that, that we least like to hear. And, and I don't know what might be on your list, but I suspect that more than a few of us might have... Uh, have this phrase on our list. One of the things that we most least like to hear someone say, cheer up. <laughs> you know, when things aren't going well, that, that's one of the last things we want somebody to say. And that person's well-meaning effort to coax us out of our depression just irritates us that much more. Uh, it's not that we don't want to be cheerful. It's just that it seems impossible under the, under the present circumstances. And whenever you're watching someone go through that, it's painful. But when you are the one going through it, it's torturous. You know, you're a Christian. You know that, that you ought to rejoice and, and you want to be cheerful, but you're not. And uh, so the guilt kicks in. Well, you've probably already guessed what I'm going to say. At the risk of offending you, I'm going to try to uh, encourage you by saying cheer up. You know, it's really easy to find a cause for complaint. Man, we, we just all stop what we're doing and say, Write down ten things that's really bugging you, aggravating you, bothering you, and, and all of, we can make that list in in no time. It's so easy to find things that are cause for complaint, but we need to realize that there are reasons to rejoice. And I'm not asking you to take my word for it, because believe me, I there's a lot of times I have trouble with this just like you do. And I have to remind myself, regardless of what I'm going through, that I have reason to rejoice. Well, First Peter chapter number 1, and let's begin in verse number 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, now listen very carefully, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, uh, though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory." Now, if you noticed what Peter said there, he did not just skip over the, the bumpy parts of the road of life. He didn't pretend that trouble doesn't exist. I mean, he makes it perfectly clear that there are going to be many hard trials, many difficult situations and he ties that together with the blessings of the Lord that we have been begotten again into a lively hope. We have an inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he enumerates all of these different blessings. And so he's mingling our burdens and our blessings together. And he does so in order to show us that regardless of how bad and how difficult things are, we still have a reason to rejoice you see, as Christians, we've been invited to a feast, not to a funeral. The New Testament begins with the angel chorus. It ends with the rejoicing around the throne. There's a certain phrase that I already basically used whenever I said cheer up. That's found in the Bible seven times in the New Testament. It's repeated over and over good cheer and that phrase is found seven times on three occasions those words were spoken by Christ you could call this message three cheers I guess I'm calling it reasons to rejoice but out of those seven times Jesus himself uses the words to cheer up good cheer Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9. And I want to show you the first instance and a reason to rejoice. Verse number 1, And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of palsy, saying, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Amen. Now, I'm not going to try to go into the, all of the details of this story, but here's a man with a physical need. And somebody cared enough about him that they brought him to Jesus because they believed Jesus could help this fellow. 
And as it turned out, the Lord not only met his physical need, he met his spiritual need as well. And, and boy, I'm sure that, can you imagine how elated that man must be that he has been healed physically? I mean, that is awesome. A man that's not able to walk and suddenly the Lord enables him to get up and to walk and he can resume a, a, a normal life. Thank God for that healing. But, even greater than that is the fact that the Lord forgave his sins. And now look, he didn't just do that arbitrarily, by the way. He knew what was in the man's heart. He knew the man was trusting him. And as a result of that, his sins have been forgiven. Don't forget, sin is at the root of all of our problems. I mean, look, even heaven would not be a happy place if sin was permitted into heaven. Think about that. All of the harmony of the saints would be broken if there was sin in heaven. The streets of gold would be tarnished if there was sin in heaven. The walls of jasper would lose their luster. The lily white throne would be defiled. And, and, and listen, even the holiness of God would be violated if God allowed sin into heaven. It's sin that causes evil men to wax worse and worse. It wrecks homes. It ruins churches. It creates raving maniacs that lie, cheat, kill, and steal, and do whatever the desire of their flesh is. And so sin is the thing that has brought a curse upon this world. And by the way, it affects all of us. Every bad thing in some way can be attributed to sin. It might not be a particular sin that you committed, but it might be that you are suffering as a result of the sins of others. And we look at the sinful world that we live in, and especially when we turn over and we read what, what Paul says about the times that we live, in the last day's perilous times, that means dangerous and difficult times. And evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Men will be lovers of their own self rather than lovers of God, lovers of pleasure and so forth. And he just deals with all, all, all of that. And we look around at the world that we live in and we wonder, how in the world am I supposed to be happy? How can I be cheerful living in a world as miserable as this is? Look, we can be happy because, as the song says, our sins are G-O-N-E, gone. They're gone. They're underneath the blood of the Christ of Calvary, as far removed as sickness is from dawn. Thank God our sins have been forgiven. That is a reason to cheer. If nothing else good ever happens in your life, to think about the fact that God has forgiven you of all of your sins. I'm talking about your sins in the past, your sins of the present, your sins in the future. They're all under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We'll never have to answer for those sins. Now, as Christians, we've got to, we've got to give an account for the manner in which we live our life, but that has nothing to do with whether we're going to heaven or not. That has to do with our reward, not with our redemption. Our redemption is a settled matter based on the blood of Jesus Christ that paid our sin debt, and all of our sins have been forgiven. I've said so many times, whenever I got saved, it would have been no wonder to me had my family and friends and everybody that knew me said, I don't want anything to do with you any longer. 
You've hurt me. You've hurt others that I love. You've disappointed me. I wouldn't have blamed my wife. I would have been terribly disappointed, but I wouldn't blame her if she would have divorced me. She had every right to do that from a worldly standpoint I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a scriptural issue now. I'm talking about the fact that I was just such a, a mess. My, my, my children, uh, I couldn't have felt bad toward them if they'd said, Daddy, I don't want to see you anymore. Um, that, that's the kind of treatment that I deserved as a human being. And I'm telling you to know that on that day that I trusted Christ as my Savior, that all of those sins were forgiven separated as far as the east is from the west and cast into the depths of the sea. God said, I put them behind my back. I will remember them no more. Amen. It's a done deal. The forgiveness of sin is a reason to rejoice, and we ought to never forget that. When you're going through the valley of despair and it seems like the whole world is against you, when it seems that there's no reason to rejoice whatsoever, you need to just stop and think about the price that Jesus Christ paid for you and the benefits, the benefits of being a believer in Christ, that all of your sins have been forgiven. So every single Christian always has a reason to rejoice but because they're forgiven. Now, you know, if I just stopped there, that'd be, that ought to be enough, right? But there's even more. Remember, I said the Lord used this phrase, good cheer, three different times. The first time it had to do with the forgiveness of sin. Now look in Mark chapter number 6. And here we see the cheer of fellowship. Mark chapter number 6, verse number 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples. Now, that's an important word. It means to make necessary. He made it necessary for them to get into the ship and to go to the other side uh, before into Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray and when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walk, walking on the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them, and said unto them, Now, listen, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. Now, if you think forgiveness exempts you from earthly problems, you're mistaken. There are some ways that, that, that we actually have more problems after we're saved than we did before we were saved. Amen? There will be people that supposedly loved you before, but after you trust Christ as your Savior and you determine that you're going to do what is right and to live for Him, you know, all of a sudden they won't care much about you. I've heard people say, well, I don't want to become a Christian. I have to leave all my friends. No, you don't because they'll leave you. They won't want anything to do with you. When you can't buy the next round of drinks, when you're not there with them to party, they won't want anything to do with you any longer. 
You go to a restaurant with them and bow your head to pray, and I'll guarantee you that's the last meal they'll eat with you. They don't want to be around anything like that. There'll be people that will hate you as a result of your stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, think about this situation. The Lord constrained these men. These are His followers. These are men that had forsaken all to follow Christ. By the way, if anybody ought to be exempt from trials, it'd be somebody like that, wouldn't it? You've heard people say, well, I just don't understand why so-and-so has so many problems. They're such a good person. They love the Lord and they're faithful to God. And man, they've just got one problem after another. I just don't understand that. Well, you're not supposed to understand it. I don't understand it either. But I'm telling you, being good and being forgiven, being in the will of God is not going to exempt you from trials. The Lord constrained them to get in the boat and the boat, he said, go to the other side. They take off and when they do, they get out there in the middle of the sea and all of a sudden there's a terrible storm. Their life is in jeopardy. They're being threatened and that boat is just rocking back and forth. And, and, And the point is, These men are in the center of God's will in the middle of the storm at exactly the same time. And the same thing can happen to you. You can be doing the will of God the very best that you know how, and yet all of a sudden it'll seem like your whole life is falling to pieces. But, Right at that crucial moment when these men are fearing for their life, here he comes walking on the water. They didn't even recognize him first. They thought it was a spirit, some kind of a ghost or something. I mean, what would you think? I mean, you know, not just anybody walks on water. And he told them, don't be afraid. He said, it's I. You Be of good cheer. In other words, you don't have anything to fear. You have reason to rejoice. Why? Because whatever it is that you're in, I'm in it with you. I'm in it with you. You know, it makes a big difference when you're going through difficulties to know that the Lord is there with you. Amen. It reminds me of Moses whenever Moses thinking about the mission that God had for him. And Moses just come right and told the Lord, unless you go with me, I'm not going. I don't blame you. I wouldn't go either. I wouldn't go strutting up to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. I wouldn't, wouldn't dare tackle a project like that unless I knew the Lord was with me. Now, I don't know what you're going through. And believe me, you don't know what other people are going through right now. Some of you, some of you, would be absolutely shocked. You, you'd find it hard to believe if you knew what great difficulties some people sitting right here in this building are going through right now. Right now, you don't know about it. They're not going to tell you about it, and you might think everything's all right because they're smiling. They shook hands with you. Everything seems to be all right. You don't have any clues to what they're going through, and yet they're going through a storm in life. And I want them to know they still have a reason to rejoice. They can be of good cheer. Why? Because of the fellowship of the Savior. Whatever you're in, He's in it with you. He promised He'd never leave us. He'd never forsake us. That He'd be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So now we've got two reasons to rejoice. The forgiveness of our sins and the fellowship of our Savior. 
but it doesn't end there. Turn to John chapter number 16. John chapter number 16, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 32. John 16, 32. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, it is now come that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is the cheer of finality. By that I mean, you'll notice that he's speaking here about his conquest over the world. And I want you to notice that he is speaking in the past tense. In, in other words, he is speaking as though this is already done. He hasn't even died yet at this point. He hasn't made that supreme sacrifice. He hasn't arose from the grave at this point. He hasn't ascended into heaven at this point. But you see, his promises are so sure that when he says something, you can mark it down. It's as good as done. I have overcome the world. Amen. He defeated the, 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 the world and the devil and, and the grave. And, and because of that, notice he said, you're going to be scattered. He never invited those men to follow him under false pretense. He told them, you're going to be hated, you're going to be despised. He told them that they were going to be persecuted and some of them even be put to death as a result of following Him. He said, it's going to be rough, fellows. The foxes have hole and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay His head. And if you're going to follow Me, it's going to be rough. There are going to be some difficulties. And after I'm gone... They're going to hate you. They're going to beat you. They're going to imprison you. They're going to, to kill you. But he is assuring them that in the end, ultimately, he is going to triumph over this world. Let me tell you, folks, the world is not a friend to help you on to God. Amen. This world doesn't care anything about you. This world would take everything that is dear to your heart. And, and, and if we're ever going to be able to prevail over the world, it's going to be because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The songwriter was right when he said, Oh, how the world to evil allures me. Oh, how my heart is tempted to sin. I must tell Jesus, He will help me over the world the victory to win. Aren't you glad that you're able to look on down the road and beyond the tribulations of this old world? And that's why I keep saying for the Christian, the best is always yet to come. The last chapter hasn't been written yet. And it's going, listen, it's all going to end well. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Regardless of how bad this world gets, and so many people are worried about, well, you know, what if this happens and that happens? And, and you know, we've got the idea that either global warming is going to get us. Yeah. wonder how many billions and billions of dollars those politicians have made off of that lie. Yeah. Somebody else who we're worried about, we're going to get in a nuclear warfare and we're just going to blow the planet all to pieces. No, we're not. 
Regardless of what happens, I know this world's going to last another 1,007 years. Amen? There are going to be seven years of horrible tribulation right after the rapture. But then after that, we are going to rule and reign with Him here on this earth for a thousand years. You say, well, it'll all be over then. No, it'll just be starting. He's going to renovate this world. He's going to purify this world. And we're going to live for all eternity with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, you have a reason to rejoice. You just need to look far enough ahead. And that, that's where so many times we make our mistake. We're looking at our problems instead of the promises. I love what Fanny Crosby wrote when she was only eight years old, blind. She said, oh, what a happy soul am I. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't to weep and sigh because I'm blind. I, I cannot and I won't. Boy, what an indictment that is against us that are older and should be wiser. To think about that little eight-year-old girl that loved the Lord enough to trust the Lord and believe that God would even use her blindness for His glory in some way. And there's so many times that we are tempted to murmur and complain because things are not going our way. Let me tell you, if you're a Christian and you do not see a reason to rejoice that not only indicates that you have a serious problem of some kind, but, but I, I've got to tell you, there's not anything I can do to help you. There's not anything anybody else can do to help you. Now, I'm not, look, I'm not saying that to discourage you. I'm not saying that for you to leave here feeling hopeless. That's not the point. I say it because I want you to find the help that you need to see the reasons to rejoice. I want you to see how much you need Christ. Because regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you are in this life, whatever you're going through, Christ gives you a reason to rejoice. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not always easy to keep your focus on the reasons to rejoice whenever you're, whenever you're hurting and whenever you're in a pit of depression and whenever people despise you and you're going through all of these problems. It's, it's not easy. It is a daily battle. Staying cheerful is not easy, but look, it's possible. It's possible. I, I, there's no way I can stand here and promise you an end to all of your troubles. Wouldn't it be wonderful? You know, if all the we pastors, whenever somebody's going through difficulty in their life, we could pat them on the back and say, you know, I'm going to pray for you and I'll guarantee you everything's going to be all right now. All your problems are going to melt away. Your bills will be paid. Your body will be healed. Your spouse will come back home and all your problems are going to go away. I, I can't do that. I don't have the power to make those things happen. But I can promise you this. God's grace is able to fill you with joy unspeakable and full of glory regardless of what you're going through. And I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm asking you to trust in God's promises. 
Every one of us can think of a thousand and one different things that distract us and things that discourage us. And sometimes all it takes is that one thing to distract us from everything. Just as you can blot out the sun with a penny, if you hold it close enough to your eye, you can blot the sun out with that little penny. Even so, you can lose sight of all of the great blessings that you have in Christ. Just because you have narrowed your focus down to that one problem. Look, that's not, that's not to minimize what you're going through at all. But it's simply to say whatever it is that Christ has done for you through His forgiveness and His fellowship and the finality of the plan that He has and what He is going to accomplish in the end and what He's going to do for you, oh, listen, that's all far greater than anything that you can imagine. And as I said, it's not always easy, but it's possible. Getting out of the pit of depression is going to take effort on your part. Several years ago, when I pastored in Missouri, one of my one of my very best friends, uh, and I'm sure Kathy and Bev remember Rex and and Charlotte, his wife, and I'd worked with him at the highway department for years. And Rex made a profession of faith. At first, he didn't know what to think about me becoming a Christian because I, I was just totally different. They started coming to church. Rex made a profession of faith and. Uh, Charlotte, as I remember, had already made a profession, but all of a sudden he dropped out of church, and and I remember going out there, and he liked to work on old cars and stuff. And for some reason, he quit going to church, and he, he got into this state of depression. And he started worrying about that because his mother had... Uh, what they call back then a nervous breakdown and literally had a surgery and I won't go into all of the detail but he was scared to death that's what was happening to him and I talked to his wife what in the world is wrong I, I don't know all he wants to do is just sit out there on a stool out in the garage that's all he does day and night and, and uh, there's just no, no way that you know that I can cheer him up and let me tell you that happens to a lot of people now, look, your depression might not be anywhere near as bad as what he was going through. But let me tell you right now, we are all prone to those days of, of defeat and depression. And, and, and it might not be to the extent that you lock yourself in a dark, dark room or curl up in a corner and suck your thumb and feel sorry for yourself. It's not like that. You still manage to get up and go to work. You even managed to come to church and you managed to carry on. But we can sing Amazing Grace and it doesn't thrill your heart. We can sing What a Day That Will Be and uh, your heart doesn't skip a beat. There's no joy. There's no happiness whatsoever. We think about all of these blessings of the Lord. And as I said last week, remember the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the preacher gets up and preaches a message about your strength being the joy of the Lord. And you don't have it and... Sometimes it seems like you don't care whether you do or not. If the joy is the Lord is your strength, if it's the thing that's going to get you through those difficulties, if it's the thing that's going to enable you to enjoy this life, you ought to be worried about not having that joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. 
And there's so many times, you know, that we expect it to come upon us like a maybe maybe like a maybe like a thunderstorm in the in the summertime. Just here it comes and well we got showers of blessings and then the rain is over and we're right back right back in the same old rut. Let me tell you, it takes action on our part. We are responsible. The responsibility to be a cheerful Christian is squarely on our shoulders. It's not up to somebody else to make you happy. It'd be wonderful if they did. I mean, that'd be great if we all encouraged one another more than what we do. That'd be wonderful. But you can't depend upon other people to do that. You've got to find it within your own heart and in your own life and determine I'm not going to let somebody else determine whether I'm going to be a happy Christian or not. Why would you put that much power in the hands of somebody else to lord it over your life, to steal your joy, to rob you of your strength, to ruin your testimony? Why would you do that? The Bible says that David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Now, boy, I mean, if anybody had the strength to never get discouraged, you think it would be old David, right? No. David found himself in a pit of depression, but the Bible says he encouraged himself. But that's not all it says. He encouraged himself. How did he do that? In the Lord. In the Lord. And if you know the Lord is your Savior, I'm telling you, you have everything you need to be a cheerful Christian. And whenever the, whenever the Lord tells us to be of good cheer, He's given us every reason to be of good cheer. Let me tell you right now, if you don't know Christ and the free pardon of sin, if you've never had all of your sins forgiven, there's not anything anybody in all of this world can possibly do to make you a cheerful person, to give you great joy. It's impossible. You can't have joy unspeakable and full of glory with the weight of your sin hanging over your head and the threat of judgment to come. You don't know anything about joy if you're not a Christian. But I'm telling you what, all of that can change in a heartbeat this morning by you putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Simple childlike faith, as I said last week, in that simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have His promise that He will save you, forgive you of all of your sins, and give you a home in heaven. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And that'll give you a reason to rejoice like the song said, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. Amen? That forgiveness is yours forever. But you have more than that. You have the fellowship of the Savior who will be with you in whatever you're going through that will never forsake you. And then you have that glorious promise of the finality of all of God's plan working out in the end where we will be joint heirs. Think about it. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. 
we talk about, you know, walking on the streets of gold and, and we talk about the crowns that we can win. But let me tell you, it's so much more than all of that. As a joint heir of Jesus Christ, I can't even begin to tell you how glorious heaven is going to be for every believer. So, whatever it is that you must go through down here, Remember what Peter said? You're going to be scattered. They were. Families were divided and scattered and people were persecuted and put to death. But even in circumstances like that, he said you can have joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. And that's what I hope and pray for you this morning. You have a reason to rejoice. Let's all stand. Father, how we thank you for making possible the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we realize there's absolutely nothing good within any of us that would merit your forgiveness. There'd be no way that we could ever earn your blessings. And yet you have provided exactly what we need through the sacrifice of your own dear son. And I pray for that man or some woman, maybe a boy or girl that's here this morning. And they know there's something missing in their life. They, they know that, that there's got to be more to life than this. And they want the joy that others talk about, but uh, they don't have it. And I pray this morning you'll impress upon their heart that they can find that joy and that peace and all that they need in the person of Jesus Christ. God help them this morning to trust Him as their Savior. And if there's a, a Christian here that has been robbed of their joy, I pray this morning might be a time that you would restore the joy of their salvation and help each one of us to be a witness as to the greatness of your grace before others when they see us with joy unspeakable and full of glory. For we pray in Jesus' name. While we stand and as we sing together, if God's speaking to your heart,